This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. are listening to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. In fact, the last one of the season, probably not until, I guess, October when there's preseason games, maybe the tail end of September, will there be a reaction podcast. So that's that's notable, I think. The Raptors, they lost this one, 125 to 113 to the Pacers. And so not playing in this game, Boucher, Jalen Harris, Rodney Hood, Gary Trent Jr., Yuta Watanabe, Paul Watson, OG Ananobi, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, playing in this game. Six guys, Malachi Flynn, Stanley Johnson, DeAndre Bembry, Freddie Gillespie, Kem Birch, and Aaron Baines. The Raptors effectively played a game with one guard. And in this league, it's uh, that's incredible. And the Raptors, even though they had a bevy of big men playing against these Pacers who, my goodness, they they run a lot through Demonis Sabonis. What they ask of Demonis Sabonis is Herculean a lot of times. And the Raptors are much more well-equipped to guard at the point of attack given most of the back end of the roster. But in this game, with the big men and then trying to keep track of relocating players and all that kind of stuff off of Demonis Sabonis' penetration, post-ups, his pinch plays and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's a lot to ask of the Raptors, and it's no wonder that they allowed 125. They were not well equipped to stop the Pacers. Sabonis caused a bunch of disruption. O'Shea Brissett, former Raptor, he feasted on that. He was he was spotting up off of the the gravity that Sabonis has at 31 points. So yes, the Raptors, I believe, set the NBA record this year for number of players on the roster who hit 30 points in a game. And I'm not sure if they track this, but the there's a percentile or a likelihood based on, you know, a player's track record as, as a scorer, how likely they are to hit 30, what type of shots are available to them. And the Raptors, I assume, would be pretty high in the percentile of teams who allow random outbursts from players, the semi-Ocholets sets because of how they overload on the main guys of the opposite team. So it seemed like a foregone conclusion that if O'Shea Brissett was on the Raptors, he would score 30 this year because the Raptors, everybody scores 30 on that team. 
if he plays against the Raptors, which he did, he's going to score 30, and he did. So 31 for O'Shea. I hope he's on the Pacers next year. Uh, Mark Schindler, Caitlin Cooper, two fantastic writers covering the Pacers. They both seem to like him a lot, and they rave about his defense, and that's fantastic. I That's one of his calling cards. And the fact that he there was some off-the-dribble stuff in this game, but mostly 5 of 8 from downtown. Getting to the line nine times, hell of a game for O'Shea. Super proud of him, plus 10, no turnovers either. Just a, a whale of a game. And Sabonis, 25 and 16, shot like 67% from the field. Was way, way too much for anybody on the Raptors to handle on the inside. He's really tough. And my, it's just, this game was super funky. It Categorically funky, I think it would be. Because TJ McConnell, who is a very strange player already as it is, who's going to lead the league in backcourt steals in the history of the league, who is the highest percent shooting as far as field goal percentage goes guard in the league. And then in this game, he accumulates 17 assists. It's just a mad game. It's absolutely insane. And then Doug McDermott, obviously a guy who, you know, Raptors fans are well aware of his shooting prowess. He had a good game spotting up off of all of that stuff going on. And so on the Raptors side, Malachi Flynn, there's lots of things to like. A lot of three-pointers in this game. The Raptors... Everybody except for Gillespie took three or more. And Stanley Johnson, yes, that's Stanley Johnson. He took 12. Malachi took 13. Bembry took five. I, it's hard to, Baines took five, but Baines hit three. It's hard to overstate how wacky this game was. It was insane. Between the absolutely dismantling, absolute dismantling of the Raptors defense, they send two to the ball once the bonus has it in the post. T.J. McConnell's on the strong side. He's the swing pass to the shooter or the guy who's about to drive off of, you know, against the closeout, 17 assists there. Sabonis, 26 and 15, sorry, 25 and 16. It's, my God. And then the Raptors, like Stanley, 24 points, seven assists. Bembry, 23 points, four assists. Kem Birch, 18 and 14. Baines, off the bench, 14 and 10. And keep in mind, everybody not named Baines. That's right. All five starters played over 40 minutes. This game was as madcap and wacky as it gets. It's, you know, a couple jokes shy of a Three Stooges skit. It's fantastic. And fitting right along with that is Stanley Johnson. I talked about this every episode for the past however many episodes now. The dip on the chip. He, he heaps it on, man. He wants it all. And I really like that about him because these dog days games, for some teams, these games matter a lot. For the Pacers, this game actually mattered quite a bit. So good for them that they won. For the Raptors, they only had six guys. They only played six men in an NBA game, leaving Flynn, Johnson, Bembry to their devices, basically to create for the other three players who are available that day. Big men in Gillespie, Birch, and Baines. So it's this MacGyvered, bubblegum, toothpaste, duct tape type of offense where, as I talked about in past episodes, is a lot of handoffs, a lot of, a lot of rub screens, a lot of stuff where they just, they just want an inch of momentum and they just want to funnel themselves downhill, create a lot of chaos, see what happens. And they were able to, a decent amount in this game. And here's the thing about the Pacers. Um, Caitlin Cooper, if you want to Google it, has written, just type in Caitlin Cooper, 
Indiana Raptors because she's written a bunch of great stuff about how Nate Bjorkren fundamentally took a lot of the playbook from the Raptors straight over to the Pacers. If you're watching this game, the way that they utilize Sabonis in a lot of the above the break sets is very similar to how the Raptors utilized Siakam, especially last year. Finch diversified the playbook a little bit when he came this year, but it's it's worth noting. The the Pacers and the Raptors run a lot of the same plays, and there's overlap in the NBA, of course, but it's just fantastic to watch <laughs> these teams go at it because both Bjorkren and Nurse, they fundamentally kind of know what's going on with the other team a lot of the time, and the players will pick this stuff up too. So the sets break down, and they start just trying to kind of, you know, it's just one-on-one. It's just, okay, i got to beat my man now because there's there's no sequence. There's no advantage coming anywhere else. Guys aren't hitting the screens at the right time. They're getting top-locked, and they're getting covered. It's just a whole bunch of stuff is breaking down. So the game is, as I said earlier, categorically funky. The Raptors end up shooting a ton, a ton of threes because, like the Raptors, the Pacers overload. They get themselves into rotation very quickly. There's a reason that Demonis Sabonis has the most defensive miles traveled in the NBA because the Pacers say, run, just run, Demonis. Cover as much as you can. That's right. You see Demonis Sabonis? They put him in a very similar role defensively to what Pascal Siakam plays. Now think to yourself, wow, Pascal Siakam runs a lot, sideline to sideline, above the break to baseline. He's everywhere all the time trying to problem solve. Yes, a lot of the same things are asked of Demonis Sabonis. So the Raptors, they ping the ball around a little bit. They find some open three-point shots. They hit some of them, 12 for 38, not their best. But maybe most encouraging was that Malachi Flynn was hitting because the catch and shoot stuff, I think as a as a pull up dribble or sorry, as a pull up shooter, I think he's already like average in the NBA. It's something he's he's got it. It's in his bag. The catch and shoot stuff, he's below average. And you'd like to see that come up to average or above average because he has so much other stuff going for him in his bag that you say, okay, just develop that one thing. And we'll start looking at you with a lot clearer eyes and we'll say, okay, this guy maybe could be a real third guard on a maybe a contender at some point in the future. Maybe just a top flight Eastern Conference team. Who knows what that looks like, but it's something he'll look to develop. Stanley Johnson, yes, it was a brick fest for him. He's got that funky low down jumper that's like hardly even jumper. It's a set shot and he really pushes the ball out. He got a lot of front rim tonight, but he hit three threes and he just kept pushing forward, getting out in transition whenever he could, when he had a lane to the bucket, trying to get there, when he didn't have a lane, trying to steamroll through guys as he is wont to do. Very fun game. Bembry, the slinkiest, maybe? He's not not as on balance and he doesn't have his quick side-to-side movements as Malachi Flynn, but He's kind of like this languid guy coming through the the lane. If he picks up his dribble, his steps look kind of long. He can extend to the bucket. He had a wedgie, a, a jelly wedgie, where he hung in the air, basically like a Statue of Liberty almost, and then let the ball go, and it was a wedgie. So that was cool. I've never seen that before. But for the most part, he was filling in, trying to, trying to get the Raptors offense going, trying to be active on defense, getting steals, getting them out on the break. And for what it's worth, he did an all right job. Ken Birch, I, I mean, hey, dude, four assists. When when the Pacers would converge on him, he'd make the right pass out. He he continues once again 
as he has done since he joined the Raptors, to attack the offensive glass at a higher clip than he did in Orlando, create extra possessions, pass out to shooters after he grabs it, go up if that's available. I think 18-14, and 14, fun game for him. The Raptors had no chance in this one, but 18-14 and 14 is good. I'm glad he went out there, did his thing, and the four assists, very nice. Gillespie, a little more muted than everybody else, but it's when the Pacers are playing the defense that the way they are, it's tough for him to find space in this one, and he's not going to shoot it. Ken Birch, a guy who is going to not take a bunch of threes, but take some threes. He took three in this game, didn't hit any. Gillespie is not going to take any threes. He's basically just trying to live at the basket, and the Pacers throwing a lot of attention at the basket defensively. So Gillespie not finding a lot of opportunities for himself, and when he did have those, he was it was heavily covered, so just pass out. And he doesn't make a lot of great reads as a passer, so he's just passing out to the strong side, which the Pacers' defense can get out to cover rather quickly. And so, yeah, that's basically it. And Baines. Baines did his thing, you know? it's There were people joking online on Twitter about how, okay, you got to hit the guarantee on his unguaranteed contract. Time to bring him back for another year because he went 3 of 5 from downtown, and he had a couple stone walls of Sabonis defensively. And while I don't think he'll be back next year, it's really nice for him to come out and have a good game. He's had a couple good ones um, towards the end of the season when he finally started getting playtime again. But, hey, you did your thing, Baines. Good for you. I hope you enjoyed it. And the Raptors season, it's over. And they only played six guys in the last game. It's crazy. I think Lewis tweeted out that the Raptors' main five or main four guys, I'll look it up. Okay, yes, the core four. So that's OG, Siakam, Fred, and Kyle. They had a net rating of basically eight with those on the floor together, which is the same as last year's net rating, fundamentally. And so, yeah, those guys were good. They were fine. The bones of this Raptors team still remains good. It's just everything circling around them. It's It was a confusing year for the big man position. They stacked very similar... They, sta- they stacked archetypes at the end of the bench... And there's no diversity to their their bench units. And so they had a bunch of guys like Yuta, DeAndre Bembry, Stanley Johnson, and even to some degree Paul Watson, although less so. These guys who they're not going to create a lot off ball. They're all basically 3 and D players. And that's why the Raptors don't really have a major player to help get them shots on the bench. The heavy, heavy minutes for the Kyle Lowry plus bench units appear to be a thing of the past, whether he's coming back or whether whether he decides to go somewhere else in the summer, who knows? It's it's not the same as it used to be. It's not the incredible net rating that made everybody kind of give DeMar DeRozan a side eye because they're like, well, why is the team so much better when DeMar's off the floor? Is DeMar even good? Well, it's because Kyle had this incredible ability to transform any unit into just this whirlwind a runaway train that dominated other teams' bench units, and even sometimes their starting lineup. So that I'm not sure that that carries the same weight as it used to, and so that's something to consider that the Raptors can't buoy benches the same way they used to. And maybe maybe Fred develops into that kind of guy, who knows, but they they need better players on the roster. They're, I'm, I really, if I had to say, among the guys on the end of the bench, I thought it would be Bembry, but I actually think it's Utah. I think Yuta is the guy I would most like to see back. Paul Watson will be back, but among Yuta, the the defenders three, 
Yuta, Stanley, and DeAndre. I think Yuta is the guy you want to bring back. I, I thought it would be DeAndre at the at the start of the year because he played quite well during the Raptors' best stretch, and he was pretty good in those transitional units sitting next to another playmaker. But I I think it's Yuta. Yuta's come a long way this year, so I think that's good. And I think I think he'll be worth looking at next year. So something to consider. But okay, Raptors, Reggie Evans Award. They lose this one, yes, but... There's awards to be given out. I'm going to give it to Kem Birch. 18 of 14 is no small feat. Five offensive rebounds isn't either. Part and parcel of the Reggie Evans Award often is the rebounding numbers because hell yeah. Hell yeah, Reggie. You go get back, you go get the basketball. So yeah. Anyway, top quick reaction comment is from Red Van Vliet. Quote, disappointing season. Hopefully the basketball gods smile down on us and we end up with a good pick. Thank you to all the RR contributors for the daily content, end quote. Hell yeah. Thank you, RR contributors. You've you've done a fantastic job this year. Thank you for providing so much to the site. And yeah, Red, thanks for acknowledging that. And I hope they get a good pick too. The higher the pick, the more intriguing the players become. The You know, especially you get up to that number one pick, the number two pick, Evan and Cade, and especially Cade, that is... Those are transformative without even taking a second look. And then there's guys in that second tier who you think, wow, these guys could be transformative. We'll see how it turns out. But it's just, it's a really fun draft. Even if they are sitting somewhere between like 7 and 12, I still think there's a lot of fun to explore what those players might mean. But Red, thanks for shouting out the RR guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Listener, thank you for listening. But whether you got into it in the morning or at night. And however many morning and nights you spent listening to the Raptors Reaction Podcast this year, thank you for listening. The weekly podcast will be going weekly, I assume, until the draft and a little bit afterwards. Well, hmm, maybe there'll be a week or two that that miss in there, but there'll be lots of draft talk. I'll have quite a few different guests to talk about, you know, guys in general, and then to kind of get narrowed in zeroed in I should say on more specific players to do an an exploration of how they might fit and that kind of stuff so should be pretty well covered as far as that goes and then after the draft for a little bit and then probably not going to be doing much in like late July and August and then start kicking up again but you know that's for another time that's a long ways away so there's there's lots of draft stuff to talk about prior to that if you're an NBA fan, um, you can follow the newsletter I do, Minute Basketball, with Lewis Atzman, where we talk about the NBA. And I think it's really novel stuff. I think it's really unique takes on basketball. I don't think it's replicated in the space. So I, I genuinely am very proud of the work. And for more X's and O's based stuff, like if you want to know what sets teams are running and you want to know what's working against certain defenses and what offenses are doing to counter that, I do an NBA-wide podcast with Evan Golberto. He's a phenomenal coach. I learned tons of stuff from him, and he's just a huge fan of basketball, and he knows it even more than he likes it, which is saying something. So we do great work with that as well. It's, I would say, an unprecedented level of film attached to a podcast because there's play breakdowns on screen while we talk about it, and there's like hour-long conversations. So it's it's very in-depth stuff if you're kind of a a basketball purist, as it were. I don't know if that's an elitist term. I hope not. But you can go listen to that. And if you want to, 
if you're listening now, that means you like me a lot. So thank you for listening all year. And if you want to leave a comment on the Apple podcast or whatever podcast service you use, that would be cool. And a five-star rating if you think it's worth a five-star rating. But thank you so much for listening. I People listening is the only reason I get to do this. So I appreciate you very much. I, I mean that genuinely. It's the only reason I get to do this. So thank you for tuning in, whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.